0: By loving people, I'm there for them in my restaurant and see them happy makes me happy. That's why it's called hospitality for me, first of all, because I'm there to to welcome people in and then to cook some good food and see that they when they finish, they happy and they say, thank you. I love that.
1: This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Polchetta is a thing of beauty, the wonderfully soft seasoned meat, the crisp crackling, it's one of the best ways to celebrate the pig and few, if any, do it better than Orazio Della. Orazio, how are you?
0: Good, how are you, Hack?
1: I'm good, it's good to catch up with you, a lot's happened in the last couple of years, how's things for you?
0: Mm, Things are good, been busy for the last few years, you know, after we had COVID, you know, um, we... uh, you know, when everything was stopped and then it feels like everything started back on track and uh, I uh, reopened a restaurant last year, which uh, is got the name of Porchetta on it. So, been quite busy with that. <laughs>
1: well, well, tell us a little bit about the restaurant. I think last time we caught up on our sibling podcast, Deep in the Weeds, I think you talked about your you sort of planning for it, but um, where is it and what are you doing?
0: Yeah, so basically I had, uh, you know, what, um, I wanted to do uh, something else and uh, the opportunity to pick up uh, the, the old Daurazio, which then was Ciccabella, was, uh, you know, was, uh, was almost there. And uh, I'm talking to, obviously, Morris and, and I got her back and we opened the door last year, we reopened the door last year again as Daurazio Pizza and Porchetta. And it's been a good ride since then.
1: You're uh, renowned for your porchetta. Tell us, tell us a little bit about it, and and how you make it.
0: Ah, uh, so we, uh, we obviously we uh, we get in the whole pigs, uh, from uh, local farmers, and um, we get them in, and we butcher all ourselves. We debone them, uh, take all the bones out, and then we stuff them with uh, uh, pork neck to uh, add more meat to it, and uh, salt, pepper, fennel seeds, rosemary, sage. And thyme, all chopped finely, all spread all over, lots of pepper. And then we, um, with a big needle, we stitch it. We stitch it up, make a long, big sausage. And then we tie it up and do like the tube, like a tube. It looks like a tube. Then we, the next day, put it on the spit and we cook it for, you know, minimum to six to eight hours, depending on the size of the pig. Wow. Yeah. It's a bit of a commitment, but you know what? It's a... it's it's good, you know. It's uh, when people eat it and they're happy and they have it. Um, it makes it all go away, you know, the work.
1: Well, what sort of challenges do you have when you're cooking it to get it right, like in regards to temperature and the crackling and the meat?
0: Well, there's uh, obviously I've got to I've got to teach my boys, uh, you know, how to do it because um, sometimes pigs are funny enough. They're like humans. Some of they fat. Some of they got big legs. Some of they got big shoulders. Yeah, it's, it's funny because we, we sometimes muck around. I'm like, man, these ones got big legs, so make sure when it's, you know, the front it's sort of cooked, put the, the the flame down and just keep it just the back. And we got a thermometer, so we check every 20 minutes, half an hour to make sure also we don't burn it. Because most of the time, some pigs have a quite con- big content of fat, and when it starts to drip down, it can catch on fire. Um, on the rotisserie. So it's happened a few times, so we just be careful. Um, doing a little assessment before we put it on the grill. Well,
1: you have sort of renowned for your porchetta. Where, where did it start for you? Why did you get interested in porchetta and have that as, as part of what you do?
0: Well, you know, it feels, it feels like, you know, that um, I've been, um, uh, f- you know, pigs have always been part of my life. Obviously, coming from an Italian family that, you um, we, you know, the tradition was that every year in February, back in Italy, so in winter, the family would kill the pig to make the salami, the sausage and stuff. So, it felt like that, you know, every year we were doing that. And then when I started my career, I remember working in this uh, five-star hotel in uh, Milano Marittima, and there was this guy that said to me, he "Goes, I really want you with me in the garmage. So when we processing meat and fish, then we give it to the 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 hot." Uh, section of the mains and they cook and he showed me how to do the porchetta and I was really like oh my god I never thought you could have done this and so i had always kept this in um it's like a kept secret and then you know when we opened the first D'Orazio Pizza and Porchetta with Morris uh, back in 2014 uh before we opened we were brainstorming what we're we doing what we're we doing and so we thought you know there's no wood for and pizza place in bondi i said let's do that and morris challenged me goes like but we need to put something with that we can just do pizza everyone does pizza so you know we started talking and uh, all of us i say, what about porchetta and morris goes pizza and porchetta fuck that's genius so, and that's what, and then we went ahead and do it. And, you know, for four years, the old Daurazio was, you know, a place where people loved. And um, then, you know, things happened. I moved on. I did other stuff. And then coming back and reopened the red door as a pizza and porchetta, even Google was confused because they said they permanently closed. So I had to go to all the process now to, to get, uh, you know, all the hashtags, all the, 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 the maps, everything in place to, to get people who could come to the restaurant again. Yeah, it was a bit funny the first month. It was a bit hard. But, you know, now I think everything works. So we're back there. People are happy that we open again. And the Darazio is a place for everybody, you know, from, from kids that they come from school at 5 o'clock to, you know, anybody that wants to come for a late drink at 9, 9.30 at night. So it's a place literally that's for everybody.
1: Mm. Bontai has changed so much in the last decade with its food offering, and you've been a part of that. Uh, in sort of different periods. Um, How different is it now being sort of going back into the sort of Bondi food scene with with so many different offerings there?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's getting a little bit, you know, it's a bit tough. Obviously, you gotta, um, you know, we always careful about, you know, the things that we put on the menu, the way we price it. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of competition now, so we make sure that we do our own style, important, and then we make sure we price in the right way, so people don't come, people can come to us three times a week and don't break the bank, even if it's really hard at this day at the moment because you know with all the rising prices of, of everything it's uh, it's hard but you know man you got to push push it through and uh, and be there that's it's a
1: commitment you mentioned um, breaking down a whole pig you know Italian tradition with family growing up take us back to sort of italy where where did you grow up and tell us a bit about the food and the role it played in your family
0: yeah, so I grew up, obviously, in um, Napoli, obviously outside the Naples, and I was lucky enough to have my both grandmas from two different parts of the Campania region, but still in the province of Napoli. And uh, the one that was living on top of the hill, that's the family that, you know, was more exposed to killing the pigs and all of this stuff. And, um, you know, since early age, was um you know it was it was more like in a farm living in a farm for me and that's where i got all this sort of knowledge of, about you know uh, pigs or where they grow what they get fed and you know to kill them i salam make salami and everything and the other side of the family of mama was more towards you know napoli so there was different sort of type of cooking more seafood um than
1: than meat when did you first start getting interested in food and potentially a career as a chef
0: um it, it was it's a bit of funny one this one for you because I obviously, you probably heard many times people say, you know, growing up in Italy, you're always exposed to food, which is right. it's it's uh, you, you wake up in the morning and the first question they ask is, what do you want to eat? But for me, it was different because, you know, I, I always had this desire to, to travel the world, to speak another language. So when I finished the middle school and I was 13, 14 years old with this friend of mine, we said oh you know we want to travel the world what we should do and he goes oh we should go to you know the host hospitality school because then we can travel the world and then we can work in every city where we go and we can make money we can travel we can meet girls we can party we can do a lot of stuff and i said to okay let's do that and so we went to the hospitality school originally we wanted to choose there was a three subjects you could choose one was um reception one was the you know the the, the dining room at the front of house and one was kitchen and all the other two were already full so we had to choose the kitchen and so we we took the kitchen course and we did uh, the uh, the chef school for five years and that's how we got into it and then from there you know every summer when we were off school we were going to work in uh, you know local restaurant or hotels um and that's how it started and then obviously for the first five years while i was at school there was always it was never something that was you know a a professional thing you know it was more like yeah make a bit of money uh, and then you know go back to school but then when school finished that's when the the game started for me that i started traveling and do a little bit more um professional way in a different part of the Par of Italy, five star hotel, restaurant, stage in the Michelin's place where you didn't get paid, and you just they just feed you a meal, and you don't get paid, and you work about you know eighty ninety hours a, a week, uh, just to learn without getting paid. That's how it all started.
1: What was some of the sort of really key venues and people that sort of influenced you as you started to build your career in the hospitality sector?
0: back in italy at that time uh, i remember while i was going to school there was this name of a chef was gualtiero marchesi which i think he was like the godfather of the italian cuisine back in italy and um you know i got really uh, into obviously the cooking and this that i bought my first encyclopedia uh, called la cucina italiana by gualtiero marchesi back then and so i was looking up to him and you know learning the basics because someone said to me at the time said if you can't speak italian how can you go and learn english so they told me you need to learn your italian cuisine first and then you can move into the world and then do learn other things and then maybe bring a part of your country of your italy somewhere in the world where you're going and so i sort of listened to that and i'm very grateful today uh that i you know i've got my own place and at Oratio we do a cucina italiana you know it's um, as long as it can sound simple, but it's the real thing. I love what everyone's doing out there. But you know, if we decide to make a pasta with carbona, spaghetti carbonara or something else, we we make in the proper way. You know, in the Italian way. You know, and I'm proud to sort of say, look, I cook Italian food in Sydney.
1: Well, I'm a bit of a stickler for car- carbonara the right way as well. T- tell it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> t- I love t- tell it. us how you make it. Well, I uh, obviously I've, uh, there's a few different
0: way that you can make it. You know, I during COVID I started to do a few recipe on my social uh, Instagram and stuff, and putting recipe there for people you know to cook. Um, carbonara is a simple dish, but there's a few steps that you need to put in mind that you got to respect them otherwise you you make a scramble egg so first of all the carbonara is only done with uh, obviously egg yolk every two egg yolks you, you need a bit of uh, you know at least 50 grams of uh, pecorino or you, some people can use a little bit of parmigiano it depends if they don't like it, too too strong uh make sure your guanciale is crispy and so you can get all the fat out. Then you then mix it with the, the eggs mixture and pecorino. But you have to make sure that the guanciale fat is not too hot. Otherwise, you're going to be cooking the eggs already. And then when the pasta is cooked, strain the pasta. Keep some of the, the, the water on the side off the stove. Start adding the egg mixture slowly to that so it doesn't coagulate. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't cook like a scramble. So, and you want it to get creamy and creamy and creamy and then serve with, uh, you know, some crispy uh, guanciale on top and buon appetito.
1: Yeah, amazing, amazing. You're making me hungry. Um,
0: Man, it's a simple dish. It's my favorite dish. But if I have to be honest with you, if someone said to me, what's your death row meal? It would be prosciutto crudo and mozzarella. Wow. So talking about pink again, I think since I was a little boy, that I got given solid food. I think a prosciutto has been uh, probably the thing that I've ate the most of my life.
1: What makes great prosciutto and what do you love about it?
0: I don't know. It's just the sauce, the the the. the, the they, I don't know, they use slice and you can have it with fresh bread until I can have it until I'm literally full. I can't fit any more food in my body. And it's like an addiction, you know, I walk into the kitchen. Sometimes I say, okay, I'm going on a diet now. but then I walk into the kitchen, the guy's slicing prosciutto. I'm just going there, I can't resist, I
1: need to grab a slice.
0: It's, um, yeah, <laughs> F- funny enough, it's still part of, it's still peak, you know?
1: How, how, how did you end up in Australia?
0: I ended up in Australia because connecting to the thing that I told you before about, you know, traveling the world and uh, meeting uh, new people and language We, with a friend of mine, we, you know, we were talking about, you know, exploring more of the world and uh, he met a guy that came to Italy to uh, find a pizza chef, which was, uh, you know, Lucio from Lucio Pizzeria. And uh, so I brought him back to Australia to open his first pizzeria. And then he told me. And so I came uh, I came here. And then, um, you know, with were working on the visa for a year. That was back in 2004. Uh, so it's almost been, you know, 18 years, 19 years now. And that's how I got here. And I fell in love with the country, with, uh, you know, the lifestyle and everything. And today I'm here with a family. I've got three boys, married, the restaurants and other stuff. And I'll never look back.
1: What did you think of Australia when you first got here? Was it? Did you have ideas of what it might be? Was it similar?
0: I I picture in my head those big roads, big roads like you know giant roads and kangaroo jumping on the side. Honestly, um, and then then I remember going to the embassy in Rome to to do my visa, and because back then you couldn't do it online, so I had to go to the embassy in Rome, the Australian embassy. And I remember open at 8 o'clock, I was there at 6 a.m. I was two hours before I was there because I wanted to be the first. I wanted to get my passport, uh, my, sorry, my visa. And so while I'm sitting at, in my car outside the embassy, I see these two beautiful, tall, taller women, like with the red hair. And I'm like, Wow this is the Australian women look like. So I go to my friend Lucio. I say, Lu, why, but they all have red hair in Australia. And he goes, no, no, no. I say, I just saw two, you know, two tall ladies, beautiful with the red hair. And I say, oh, I like that. And he goes, no, no, there's a bit of mix here. There's everything. He so stop asking me all these questions. I'll see you when you get here. I say, okay, don't worry. I'll see you soon. And, uh, and then when I came, I felt like, wow, uh, my first day on Bondi Beach was uh, something that I never forget. You know, I was just amazed by looking around all these different, you know, different, you know, style of people. And was amazed, you know, the water was beautiful, you know, everything was amazing, the surf, everything. And so I sort of fell in love.
1: Tell us a bit about your career in Australia leading up to sort of... Opening the restaurant for the first time with Morris um, what Where did you work, and what sort of influences were on you?
0: Well, my first uh, my first job in Sydney as head chef was in this restaurant in North Sydney uh, called L'Incontro. Um, I had been in Australia for already you know six, seven months, eight months. So um, a friend of mine was working in this restaurant and he was leaving, and he told me if I could replace him, so I went there. And, you know, I was doing the pasta section and the owner, uh, which is actually from uh, Capri, uh, saw me and asked me, oh, you know, would you like to become the chef, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I can't even speak English, man. How can I talk to these guys? They were, you know, they were Aussie guys, an Indian guy. Um, I'm like, okay, look, you know, if they listen to me because I was scared they would not listen to me. So I started. It was hard in the beginning, but... Let me tell you, the Indian guy that was in the kitchen in 2005, today still works with me at D'Orazio. And, and he's one of my best friends. And I share with him lots of stories. Uh, he makes curry every week for stuff staff for meal because it's amazing. Uh, love to try different food, you know, it's, um Yeah. But it was good. You know, it was, uh, it was funny because some stuff that I wanted to cook back then was not received well from people. You know, um, th- there was some stuff like octopus that people didn't really, you know, didn't really like, you know, 18 years ago. Today, it's one of the best food to serve in a restaurant. Uh, there were certain things that, you know, we would cook in Italy, do it here, and no one will have it. I remember making my my to my ex-girlfriend uh, a, a simple cashew pepper pasta. She, so she looked at me, she goes, that's too plain. And today the cashew pepe is uh, number one dish in the world. You know, it's going to fashion again. But, yeah, it, I, I saw the change a lot, but I, I changed a little bit myself with that. So I, you know, I was happy with, you know, the, the road that I took um, until I, you know, Um, I went to work at Icebergs with uh, Morris which is for me has been one of my greatest mentors um, and uh, you know he helped me he told me a lot and today a lot of things that I know it's you know
1: gotta say I learned from him. The original incarnation of the restaurant was with um, Morris but now you have it on your own many years later Um, tell us a bit about how different it is compared to the first iteration.
0: Uh, well, to me, so still to these days, i got a lot of um, uh, deja vu, to be honest. While I'm there, I'm just thinking like something that probably would happen 10 years ago, but it probably would happen yesterday because, you know, it's it was a funny one, especially in the beginning to go back into the site and the name is the same. Uh, with Morris, was an was Daurazio more relaxed. I would say, back in the days, um, and, you know, it was more like easy, uh, still the same type of food, I guess I was cooking. Um, it was, you know, there was not many restaurants around as well. That was, uh, that was great. Uh, today, the D'Arrazio today, he's got a little bit, you know, I've invested a little bit more money to buy different, you know, chairs or tables and, you know, the, the, we got a few extra wine on the wine list. We made it a little bit more, um little different just because of the competition being around and you wanted to make sure that, you know, you, you're there. You're there for people and um, and you, you can be different from all the other places in your own way.
1: How does pork weave its way through the menu? Tell us a little bit about some of the dishes that you have where pork sort of stars.
0: Well, the porchetta, as you know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the also a little bit of the branding of the place, but also we got a dish which is the focaccia. Which is also a dish that we had back in the days, and is one of our biggest sales. It's a uh, two slice of uh, wood fire bread uh, that comes out of the oven, and they get filled with uh, you know slabs of pork uh, cos letters and egg, grilled eggplant um, with a little chili and some mayo. there it's got a little bit of pork juice in it just to bring up the flavor a bit more, and it's one of the biggest sales. Yeah, we have at the moment another dish on the menu, which is um, um, a pork sausage ragù, uh, it's flavored with saffron, and we serve it with some gnocchetti sardi. So it's a, a Sardinian dish. Uh, they, in Sardinia, they call it mallureddu. Alla Campidanese, But on the menu, we call them as gnocchetti sardi with um, saffron-infused pork sausage ragù. It's one of our biggest sales on there. And obviously, you know, some of the antipasti, um, traffo mortadella, prosciutto crudo. Uh, We're just about to put a new... Dish on the menu, which is a, a mortadella skewer, uh, served with uh, some uh, pistachio and some uh, um, ricotta um, on the top. Um, yeah, we'll see how we go. Um, when we do first open, we had a great dish on the menu, which is uh, was a mortadella fritta. Was a layers of mortadella, so it was mortadella fritta, cacio e pepe. So basically, during COVID, I had time to do you know a bit of research, and I was at home, and I was sort of uh, doing a couple of tasting stuff for like that, and I came up with these uh, layers of mortadella, and between the layers there was uh, pecorino and pepper. And then like, and we did and I did the five layers of it and then I crumbed it like a cotoletta like a Schnitzel and then I fried it and and everyone was like wow this is really good so and back then I had my baby Sarah and my um, my wife had been the guinea pig of all this dish that I was making and they all gave me the thumbs up and then and then you know I may, I thought you know this goes on the menu done
1: for, for someone that has uh, and utilizes um, so much pork on the menu and gets whole pigs in. Do you, have any, do you have any connections with farmers that you work with?
0: Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I uh, get all my pig from Toluca Park uh, down in Barrel. Um, I know Frank and his wife for, for a few years now. Um, and, you know, for me it's important because – um, knowing that he raised the pig that I use. At least I know where they're from. Someone's asked me a question. I know exactly what I'm talking about. And also it's a beautiful to go down there and spend the day with him, understand what's happening, what they're eating, you know, the soil, regeneration for these animals. You know what I mean? All of this, it's really important. I think, uh, you know, uh, farm to plate, it's um, something that these days is really important it's like a bit of sustainability for fish so this is for for the farmers out
1: there yeah what's great about the pork that they produce
0: uh, I think the way they raise them they're all free they're not in cage so they got a good life uh, and they get fed good stuff you know apples uh, sometimes you know other other things grains you know um, they free they're free to do whatever they want really they don't have an hard life Um yeah
1: well, uh, well, you've um, you turned a year old just recently with the the venue in its uh, second incarnation. Uh, wh- what are you loving about what you do?
0: Um, what I love about what I do the most is that I love people, um, and by loving people, I'm there for them in my restaurant, um, and see them happy makes me happy. Um, that's why it's called hospitality. For me, first of all, because I'm there to to welcome people in, and then so cook some good food, and see that they, when they finish, they happy and they say thank you. I love that. That's just those little things that you know at the end of the day that makes your day.
1: Well, you're making a lot of people happy, and it's great to see um, you up and running in Bondi again. Uh, always good to catch up with you, Aracio. Uh, Grazie. Hack. Please keep in touch, and we'll catch up again soon.
0: My pleasure, Bello. Thank you.
1: This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.